My name is Andrew. Probably should have said that up front. I am uh, a senior pastor here at Sanctuary, and uh, it is my joy to start a new series with you. There's a a life verse. I don't know if any of you have a life verse. Uh, I I always think these things are sort of funny, like the idea of, like, I have one verse. I get it. It means something really meaningful to you. I don't mean to be cynical at all. I always like to joke, like, to pick, like, one of the more obscure verses. Sometimes when people have on their signature of their email, you know, like, my name is Andrew Mook, and then they'll put, you know, I don't know, a verse on there. So I have a friend of mine who always puts this one passage. I think it's in Leviticus, uh, and the verse is just, dear God, there's death in the pot. Uh, he's, he's a bit well-known, so it's funny when people, like, you know, ask him, like, oh, well, I love that verse. I love that verse. And he's always like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, look it up, look it up. You know, people are trying to, like, act like they know what it is. Our church kind of has a life verse. It uh, has something that is like a seed verse, something that's just been really central to us from the beginning. Many of you know it. We've written songs around it. Uh, we press into it every time we do Sunday evening worship gatherings. It's this, the prophet Habakkuk looking out of the mess of the world, like all of us. He's looking out at, oh my Lord, there are hurricanes coming. There's instability in our government. There is, there is just brokenness in our media. There's, there's hurt and pain and division in our homes and in our families and on our streets. And so he looks out at the carnage of the world and he goes, Lord, God, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them been our verse. It's been like a prayer. It's a rallying call. It's got some vision to it, right? It's got some energy, some base to it. And so as we thought about starting a new series, we thought about the other side of of praying, Lord, in our time, the stuff that you've done, we've seen the ways you've healed. We've seen the way you've delivered. We saw the way that you've used that person to bring that justice and that peace. We've seen the way that you've poured out uh, your power and love and grace in times past. Do it again, please, God, Do it again. And so there's some things that only God can do. If you're a Christian here, would you say amen? I'm gonna need you to shout me down today. I'm a little tired. All right? Anybody who comes from more Pentecostal back, I need my Pentecostal brothers and sisters to shout me down today. For all you Presbyterians, just stand there and look horrified. Um, (laughs) What is happening? Um, (laughs) It seems good, but it's not. All right, so... I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, what? Oh, yes, there's some things only, thank you, Greg. There's some things only God can do, right? And then yet, in the scriptures, we're invited to join God in what he's doing. There's all sorts of places this is referenced to. The big one being Paul talks about we are partners, co-heirs. The church is called the bride of Christ, implying some sort of relationship. There's stories of people standing in the gap. God being like, ah, I was going to do something, but no one's standing in the gap. He's looking for human partnership. As feeble and broken and hypocritical as we all can be, God invites us to join him in what he's doing. And then in Revelation, we hear what Jesus is doing right now. If you're a Christian, we actually believe that in some mysterious way, Jesus is renewing all things. We have a picture of Jesus saying, behold, I sit on the throne. Behold, I'm making all things new. So there's things only God can do. That's why we, pr- that we pray with Habakkuk. Lord, you gotta do what only you can do. And then there's the, okay, what does it look like for us to join you in that? And so this series, we're gonna focus on what that really is. In our time is what we're calling it. In our time. 
So we're going to go through this. Today, I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview and talk about time and how it relates to being filled with the Spirit. Paul talks about the relationship between time and just being dialed into the things of God, walking in the way of Jesus, walking in the Spirit, being animated by the things of God. There's all sorts of beautiful language about being filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that what it looks like to, to, to live wisely in a culture of foolishness. And then we're gonna talk about in our work, in our families, so we're gonna talk about marriages, we're gonna talk about kids, we're gonna talk about singleness. We're gonna talk about in our workplace. So what, what does it look like to have a really healthy, robust, this is like new material around just like, what does it look like for us to live wisely in our work, in our craft, in the things that God's given us to do, and then in our streets. What does Christian unity and what it's supposed to look like, what is the gift we can give to a divided world in this year? Does that sound good? I'm fired up about it. I think it's gonna be awesome, but I'm preaching, so of course I think it's gonna be awesome. So, you be the judge. Today, Ephesians 5. And so all of this, we're gonna be in Ephesians 4 and 5. The back half of Ephesians is where we're gonna be parking this. Because I think Paul gives us insight for all these things in these passages. In the book of Ephesians, the writer Paul, and what he does out of the gate is basically tell these people, this church that he's writing to, this is who you are. You are loved, set apart. My grace is upon you. You are sons and heirs of grace. He, adoption language, all of this beautiful, this is who you are. And then he pivots halfway through the book. And he pivots to, okay, so what does it mean for us to live this out? What does this look like fleshed out? So I want to begin, for some of you who are brand new to church, you're going to hear me going like, hey, church, we could do better at this, and do better at this, and do better at this. For some of you who have some, like, you have, you have a hard time with some of that stuff, I hear you. That, that kind of stuff is in-house discussion for us because we know that we are loved and saved by the grace of God. Amen? People of sanctuary, would you, Amen. We are loved right where we are in all of our pain and all of our guilt and all of our hypocrisy. To be a Christian is to, first and foremost, not be self-righteous, is to identify as we are jacked up people. Amen. Only in a room of Christians do people amen being jacked up. That is like a thing that we own. The corner of the market on that. Jacked up? Yeah, me. So we start there, which gives us great freedom and joy. I know it sounds weird to then talk about, hey, where can we grow? But it fills us with life to then talk about, hey, where can we grow? Where can we get better? Where can we be more filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be to God. Be very careful then how you live. I think the older you get, the more surprised you get at how life turns out. Anyone ever, uh, I know some of folks are a little younger uh, in this room than I, than I am, but I, I don't know if you've had moments where you've done the look back. Maybe if like, you're in college, you've done the look back. I wonder what my friends at junior high are doing, like when I moved. Or, or if you're, you know, in your 40s or 50s or 60s, you're like looking back. You ever gone on Facebook and done the little like tour de force of your old friends? Anyone ever done this? You go back, some of you are like, Facebook? 
Isn't that, aren't we over that now? Right? Um, isn't that scary to think? Anyway, there's a lot of things. All right. Time moves so fast. Yeah, so I go back and I'm looking at where certain friends are that I knew in junior high and high school. I'm looking back at some of these friends and I'm going, wow, that person, that person who was an epic part of my spiritual journey has now like walked away from the church altogether. Oh, or I have another friend of mine who, who God had just like done this amazing work in his life to rescue him out of this awful situation. I remember sitting with him at summer camp, hearing him vow, man, I'm never going back, never going back. I looked him up online and it turns out, just I can feel through comments, he's in prison. I have friends who were like set to be vocational ministers and like they, they had some opportunities they had to go and, and teach. And it seems like they're spending most of their time these days um, just surfing. That's pretty much, it seems like, at least on social media, I mean, who am I to judge? This isn't judgmental or self-righteous, but it's like, oh, cool. It seems like everything in your life, like literally everything, is like lifestyle obsession around this one thing. Man, it's easy to drift, right? Be careful how you live. Be careful then how you live. It reminds me of the passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We do not drift away. I thought about, ever think about drifting? Drifting. Like, there's no intentional movement in drifting. You know, like, I know what I'm gonna do. Work really hard at drifting. Right, no, no. Like, when, you, when you, a boat is at a dock and you untether the boat from the dock, what happens? Slow at first, just starts to drift. The boat's not like. Drifting is about a lack of intentionality. Drifting is about not being anchored. It's easy to drift. Be careful. Be careful. Hebrews, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Jesus has other language, kind of tangentially related. He says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, right? Narrow is the gate. He's using this illustration around Jerusalem of like, if you're gonna get to the narrow gate to get into Jerusalem, you've got to be intentional to do it. I remember years ago, I used this analogy. Anyone familiar with 95 North, right? You're going up 95 North and you're trying to get off the highway to go downtown. Anyone ever tried to do this? Right? I mean, we do this every day, right? But you know that you're not going to just like naturally get to Broadway, to get downtown. You have to like, you got 195 on-ramp coming. You got people coming behind you, coming the other way. Like poorly designed. This was definitely a crime town mobsters design. Like, just kidding to all the mobsters in the room. Okay, so like they, they, uh, they, they it's so impossible. You have to, veer, you have to fight. You got to be really intentional because what? Why does the road that leads where? Pawtucket. It's dark. Who wants to go to Pawtucket? Just kidding. Great, great place. <laughs> Why does the road that leads to Boston? No, no, not Boston. Pawtucket. We'll stay with Pawtucket. You got to be intentional. Paul's saying be very careful how you live. Live carefully. Live carefully. Pay careful attention to what we've heard so we do not drift away. And then he says because the days are evil. Which sounds so negative, Paul. 
the, uh, last weekend I preached. I don't know if those of you who were here, I was here preaching. I was on vacation. Uh, I was camping with some, a couple of friends. And um, uh, the long story, I won't get into it, but why I, I ended up feeling like, and then it was kind of too late, and I felt like I needed to get back. So it was three hours away in Vermont, so I had to get in a car and drive back early in the morning. Now, my wife loves camping. Nope. I have a seven-month-old, which is a really good idea to take a seven-month-old camping, right? Amen, right? Awesome. What? We knew it was going to rain. We knew it was going to be rain and be cold. You should definitely bring a seven-month-old and then um, go camping with your wife. He's not a big fan of camping. who has a little bit of trouble sleeping in general, right? You should definitely do that um, and, uh, and not make any sort of adjustments. But what would be even better is leave them for about, you know, nine hours out of the day to run back to preach, Right? This is going to go great. There's no problem. I'm going to leave really early. I'm going to get to church. I'll be back by three. Everything will be great. We were camping with a bunch of friends. By the way, it was a great camping trip. But like, I am on my way back. I'm on my way back. And uh, yeah, so there's uh, rain. It's raining. We knew it was going to rain. But you know, the tent's flooded. No big deal. I put a tarp underneath, you know, thinking that'd be great. But instead, the tarp just kind of collected all the water underneath and was like, you stay here. Don't go in the ground. It's just pounding up into the tent. So I go, I get, fine, like, I'm getting texts from Corey, like, hey, it's flooded, and everybody else went into town except for one other folks, and we're here on, like, pads that are slowly soaking, an iPad, and it's freezing, and my seven-month-old really has a cold, and this is great, and she's being amazing, amazing, every right to just, like, yeah, and I'm just, like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, I'm racing back up, I'm racing back up, I'm racing back up, I'm distracted, I gotta get back up, I gotta get back up, and then all of a sudden, we just got this new car, and there's no, like, gas light on it, and guess what, all of a sudden, as I'm driving, doo -doo -doo, Oh my gosh, I am out of gas. I just slowly pull the car over, and an hour later, on top of an already three-hour trip, like AAA comes, I finally get up there, and I just go into the tent. It's just, I wish I had a picture. It was just this sad, sad scene. Corey's just like, I've never been so happy to see you. <laughs> this is rain and cold, and Rowan's like, Daddy. Like, it's just... The days are evil. <laughs> Be careful how you live. That's a stupid story, but right, like, my gosh, we know this to be true of all the beauty and joy that exists in this world, from surfing to salsa to Beethoven. There's so much beauty. Heaven is breaking in. We're made in God's image. We have all the reasons to be joyful, and yet we know that the consequences of sin is death. We know that there's an earth groaning. It says in Romans, the earth is groaning, that there's an ache, that we are limited, that the days, there's a sense that the days are precious. And Paul is saying, be careful, be careful. So Paul teaches a couple things then about what it means to be filled then with the Spirit. Here's how you should live. In light of who you are, in light of what God's doing in the world, live carefully. Be filled with the Spirit. And part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit is to be a, a, a vessel, be somebody who is wise. And he begins to talk about wisdom. There's about six different articles I wanted to quote, and I don't have time today. I want to be careful of our time, speaking of time. But basically, there's this theme that's been popping up everywhere in writing. This is not in, like, Christian writing world. Is that we have more knowledge than ever. I think I've mentioned this before. Knowledge used to be the true currency in this world. Correct? 
if you knew the, if you knew a lot, you would have power. Knowledge equals power. We've even heard that phrase. Is that true really anymore? No. Why is it not really true anymore? I have access to almost all the knowledge in the known universe right here at the tip of my finger. No, no, no. Everyone's talking about wisdom. It's so on trend right now. Like everyone, like wisdom. What does it mean? To, what do we, how do we live with all of this? I am still shocked by the amount of people that come to me who are literally like, I don't know how to live. I'm talking to a friend of mine who's doing, does college ministry. He's like the amount of students that just come in and like, they just don't even know how to live on their own. It's not an insult on you. It's just, there's just like a, we have so much information. We're starting to feel paralyzed. What's the right decision? Another friend of mine uh, posted, you know, Aaron, she posted this great post about being a mother. And she just listed all the things that are expected of her now. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm really adventurous. I don't fit into, like, these sort of gender stereotypes, but I'm still, like, paying attention to X, Y, and Z, and I'm still staying at home, but I'm also can work, but I can also, and she just goes down this laundry list of all the things that are now expected of her because there's that theory and that study and that thing and that pressure and that, and all of a sudden, you're bombarded with knowledge. Well, Paul was talking about this a long time ago. You wanna be filled with the Spirit. You can have all the knowledge in the world and not be biblically wise, which is to make the most of the time to not be wise. Wisdom, he links with time. What does it mean to live wisely? One other example, there is this article, I think I have a, a picture of it in the Atlantic Monthly. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw this, it was kind of being passed around my parenting circles. Um, and it's basically how, it's a really subtle title, how the smartphone destroyed a generation. Some of you are that generation here, congratulations. <laughs> it's really optimistic. Atlantic Monthly loves these. But it's a phenomenal article. Um, and it basically says that uh, if your kid has a smartphone, if your kid is given a smartphone, um, you put them on social media in the eighth grade, there is a 27%, you're 27% more likely to struggle with depression than children who participate uh, in uh, sports or religious activity or play outside. 27%, 27%, eighth grade being, getting access to social media. Right, I say that in that like, we have amazing technology to connect people and what does it end up doing? It ends up producing you know, this deep depression. We have more access to data and info, right? We, we're not like those old, those old folks. We have now information. We know how the world works. What happens when we know how the world works? When we understand, you know, atoms and we, you know, we, we build atomic bombs. This is what we do. We build weaponry for all the good that has come, right? Our temptation is to slide into foolishness, to foolishness. Information used to be this most valuable currency, in our world, and I think we have something to learn from biblical wisdom. He says, be wise, be wise, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. We have to pay attention to what it means to truly walk this life out in the spirit. Another characteristic, or another thing about foolishness that gets talked about in scripture, Apostle Paul when he says, don't be a fool. Believers, the first bit of foolishness is basically not things that don't honor God. Right, so I, the, the first bit of foolishness is basically not trusting God, is leaning on our own data points and not actually trusting that God is God. The, the second one here is the way in which uh, we don't honor God. First Timothy 6, 9 says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I don't honor 
There's not a, any fear of God. I don't know how many of you remember, probably not many. Jimmy Swagger is this famous Christian preacher. Fell into adultery, embezzlement, all this stuff. Went to jail. And as the story goes, there's somebody uh, who went to go and visit him. Uh, he write, writes this in uh, one of the books about Jimmy Swagger. And he says, when did you, he looks at Jimmy in the eye. This guy's in prison. He goes, when did you stop loving Jesus? Natural question, right? Like there must be some like lack of love that caused you to do all of this mess. When did you stop being a Christian? Jimmy Swagger goes, I never stopped loving Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. But here's what I did do. I stopped fearing God. I stopped fearing God for that in my heart. Scriptures say uh, that um, it's a fool. A fool says um, that there is no God. That you can do whatever you want and God will just give you a blank pass. Scriptures are saying, don't be a fool, be wise. The fear of the Lord, it says, is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow God's precepts have good understanding. Now this starts to get murky too. What does it mean to fear God? Look, the fear has the sense of awe and reverence and just recognition that you are not God. It begins there. And the reason the fear of God is the key to wisdom and the reason uh, that the more fueled you are by the Holy Spirit, the more you'll have reverence and honor for God is because reverence, idiot, are the restraining factors that stop you from being an idiot. It is the revelation of the fear of God that makes you say, I'm not going to do that. It's a revelation that there are actually consequences. This is why Paul says things, don't keep on sinning so grace will increase. The grace and love of God should produce this holy fear and reverence. I've mentioned this before, and it's apropos. My dad's actually in the room. I can share this story again. But growing up for me, um, there, there was a, a deep-rooted sense. There was never a sense in my heart that I was not loved. And in fact, the desire to please my parents and please my father when I was healthy and thinking about things like that, <laughs> was out of, my parents love me so much, why would I ever want to betray, kick against? There was a deep sense that there was any guilt or fear. It was a fear of like, not that I was gonna lose love with them, but that I just wasn't living up to who they had told me that I, I was. And it was funny that the fear of, we, all my, my brothers and my sister all talk about like fear of dad, right? We weren't ever worried that dad was gonna like freak out and scream at us. No, it was much worse than that. It was the, Anyone have that? Just, it was the look all of a sudden like, Andrew, we need to talk. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? My mom, God bless her, would be more demonstrative than that. <laughs> You're all looking nervous about laughing because you know they're in the room. I didn't prepare any of that. You're all like, can I laugh? Is that funny? Right, there's this, this deep sense of like, oh man, I am so deeply loved the grace of God is so much upon me. I knew that feeling. But it was like, I need to fear not just the consequences, but the reality when I break with who I was created to be. There's a, there's a reality of brokenness. There's a, what you reap, you will sow. What you reap, you will sow. Listen to this. Isaiah 33, 5, 6. I honestly believe this passage has the, the, the power and capacity to change your outlook on life. 
Isaiah 33, five to six. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. We are aching for justice. We are aching for wisdom. We are aching for true knowledge. We are aching for someone to rescue us and look at the mess of our own doing. And Isaiah says, you access this through a proper relationship with God, through a beautiful and proper fear. How many of us need to like stop as you're like maybe taking notes or thinking about this a little bit and go, I don't think I fear God at all. Name that, own that, write it down, feel it. What does that look like for me to actually, like I don't, I'm, I'm like a lifestyle Christian. I love that I get to walk around and say I'm loved and feel that, but I don't actually think that there's someone on the other line. Maybe, maybe for some of us that, that might be a helpful exercise for us. Proverbs says, walk, those who walk with the wise, you will become wise. James says in 115, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Maybe some of us need to ask God, God, any wisdom. I wanna redeem the time. I've been given this season right now. What does it mean for me to redeem the time? See, Paul prays that the Ephesians will be filled with the knowledge of his will and with spiritual wisdom and understanding. A spirit-filled life is a life of wisdom. A spirit-filled life is a life where the time is redeemed and we are dialed into what God's doing and that is a life of wisdom. Second thing Paul says about spirit-filled life is that it's a life of urgency, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Psychologist uh, Philip Zimbardo talks about that the most important assets or the most important commodity to any of us is, the, is time. And how you view time determines your outlook on life. He's written so much stuff on just how do we think, how people think about time determines more than we like to imagine about how you actually live your life and how happy you are. He basically says that each of us have an orientation to how we view time. So if you're stuck in the past, you miss out on the future, but if you only think about the future, you forget who you are and the story that you're a part of and you won't live well. I just say that quickly to point out that modern day psychologists in our cultures still understand the centrality of viewing time appropriately. Modern day psychologists, and this is why I love the Bible, because there was a, a, a dude thousands and thousands of years ago talking about this same thing that's found in this book. Moses, old Moses, he talks about, he says this, teach me, you guys know this point. It's one of my favorites. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. That I may gain a heart of wisdom. Our life is a breath. I don't need to tell anyone that, but feel it for a moment. You can't take it back. You might be able to get your health back for a little while. You can recoup on lost expenses. You can't regroup. You can't recoup your time. It's gone. It's gone again gone again. <laughs> Keep going. We can't recoup our time. Our life is a breath. We can't get time back. This made me curious about how we actually spend our time. We spend 22,029 hours sleeping, 32,098 hours eating, 90,360 hours a year, uh, in our lifetime, uh, working, 28,300 hours online, 80,406 8, 80, hours watching TV, 
12,000 hours in our life cleaning. 26, let's go to years, just to make it more depressing. 26 years sleeping. 13 years listening to music. That's the only good one. Eight and a half years shopping. 117 days having sex. That's 0.5% of our lives. Considering the amount of interest that our culture has, we may be uh, misallocating some energy there. Different sermon. The typical man will spend 10 months of his life, 10 months of his life watching porn. In the modern culture, uh, men spend four months of their lives shaving. Uh, many people spend about a year and a half of their lives deciding what to wear. The typical person will spend two years meeting, uh, in meetings at work and two whole years uh, lost uh, on recovering from hangovers on the average. Two years recovering from hangovers. <laughs> Here's the point. Anybody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who's dialed in, will have a revelation of the importance of time and they will live with urgency. You will just live with urgency. When we come to the use of our time, we can invest in our time. We can invest in it. Anybody can invest in their time, but as a Christian, we redeem the time. The language Paul uses in this passage is the idea, um, it's a, basically an economic term that literally means to redeem a commodity that's been in bondage. To redeem a commodity that has been in bondage. Christians have this opportunity to redeem the time. Now that you understand the opportunity of the kingdom. When you believe, so as Christians, those of you who are new, we believe like heaven's breaking in and we get to join God in putting the whole world back together. How awesome is that? Like that's the vision for our life. As a Christian, you may be sitting next to a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian. We believe stuff like when Dr. King talks about the moral arc of the universe, we're like, yeah, we, that's not like a vague thing of like human accomplishment. The moral arc of the universe is Jesus is making all things new. I get to join him in that. So as a soccer, as a soccer mom, as a stay-at-home dad, as a construction worker, as a plumber, as a student, as a fill-in-the-blank, my first and primary role, what are you up to? What do you do? Oh, my name's Andrew. I'm a Christian. I'm joining God in the renewal of everything. I get to join him in that. And by the way, I'm loved, saved, and redeemed right where I'm at. I have no fear of death. So I'm super psyched. How can I help and bless you? Maybe help you out a little bit. Let me carry your groceries. It all belongs. That's what I mean by redeeming the time. We see all of a sudden time opens up. Yeah, we're just a blip on the map. This is an important blip in our season to step up and go, okay, God, what are you doing? Help redeem me that I might redeem the world. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. God's ministry of reconciliation begins and we, we've been reconciled to God. And then he says, you can join me in the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, I'm gonna make my appeal through you. As though God were making his appeal. As God making his appeal through the baker. God was making his appeal through the soccer coach. God was making his appeal through fill in the blank. This is what it means to redeem the time. So for us today, as we head into the series, what does it mean to leverage where you are at? To leverage where you're at. Uh, a friend of mine stopped watching TV for a year because he realized he had wasted 90 hours of life watching um, a particular show, seven seasons, 15 one-hour episodes. He's like, right? You were all like, wow, 90 hours watching TV. You are all judging him until you like put the pieces together. Oh, yeah, he just been watched Mad Men. Cool, that's 90 hours of my life. And so he stopped doing it for a whole year. And all the times he would have been watching that, he just uh, he wrote a book. <laughs> and I laugh because I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you would. I mean, you're really talented, right? He just wrote a book. Like, what? Where 
as followers of Jesus do we need to see the higher call on our life and ask really critical questions about what it means to live wisely in this day and age? What has God put in your heart? What gives you life? What opportunities do you have? What season are you in? How do you leverage where you're at to make a contribution to the kingdom of God? Jonathan Edwards uh, talks about when he, was, when he was 20, he wrote 70 resolutions by which he wanted to live his life. He says, and one of his resolutions was this resolve to never lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can possibly imagine. To improve it in the most I can possibly imagine. Paul uses the word kairos. These seasons and opportunities we get to join God in. Redeem the time. Not like be some frantic person that, oh my God, I'm wasting time and I'm producing anxiety. No, no, no. It's the given seasons and times of our life and looking at a season, looking at a kairos moment, a season and an opportunity. That's the word he uses here. So if you're single, where are you at? Are you, where, where are the single people at? Yeah, look around really quick to those of you looking for somebody dumb pastor joke. If you're single, how do you leverage your singleness for the kingdom of God? Because when you're single, there are things that you can do that you can't do when you're married. Who's married? Man, how do you leverage your marriage for the kingdom of God? There's things you can do when you're married that you can't do when you're single. (laughs) Other things too. If you have children, increase that 0.5%. If you have children, a lot of you have, like, (laughs) if you have children, how do you leverage your parenting in this season for the kingdom of God? Because when you have kids, there's things you can do and can't do that you couldn't do before. When you're dating, how do you leverage your dating relationship for the kingdom of God? Look, we should be the most strategic people when it comes to leveraging our time. And what would be a shame is that a lot of you would be here. Some of you are only here for a couple years in the city. I know it's a transient place for some. Is that you come here and you don't think critically at all about this season. Do you have a plan for your soul while you're here in Providence? Maybe you've been here for a long time and this needs to be a reset as we go into what you know feels kind of like a new year here in September. I just wanna encourage you to bake into your thinking. What is your plan for spiritual formation? Redeem the time, see the opportunity. Live with a sense of urgency of how you use your time. There's so much more I don't have time to get into, but don't, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right, this is not about an alcohol critique. There's so much context. It's not even directly related to how we think about drunkenness. The issue here, though, is what, what, you, you basically allow yourself to submit to the alcohol. We're talking about like a glass of wine with like a, a nice tofu burger. We're talking about, right, like, like drunkenness. When you, when you get drunkenness, you're literally submitting yourself to that, to being filled with that. It opens your eyes in a way that that's going to help direct you. Being filled with the Spirit, being aware of time, being a Christian who goes in our time, in my time, this is about being filled with the Spirit. I'm gonna continue to lean into wisdom, lean into spiritual disciplines, learn into the practice and root and establish myself in God's love, begin to live with greater beauty and intentionality that I might begin to find myself more and more filled with the Spirit, right? To be filled with the Spirit, to be a person of great love and beauty, great love and beauty and grace. Surrender is one thing we can do as we close and surrender. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about cleansing your heart. 
It's about cleansing your heart. About cleansing your heart. We are filled uh, by getting right what's wrong, by surrendering and knowing and trusting, by redeeming our routines. May we be hungry for more. May we be hungry for more. Spiritual life is a life of wisdom, a life of urgency. It's a life of fullness, and it's a life for you if you want it. Christ said, I come to give you life and life to the full. I'm not going to pretend to prescribe, here's the thing, but I know for many of us, first and foremost, it's about repentance and redeeming. So let's close our time. We're gonna close singing this song. This is our benediction tonight. To sing in our time, in this place, remake and renew the world. Renew and remake the world. Lord, help us as we sing this to say, God, I want you to, I want to join you in what you're doing. This song feels very epic, like, like the whole of the world, but bring it down into your heart and into your life, into your moments right now. Let's sing together. For many of you, if you just want to, to just to receive, you need to let this wash over you today. Some of you need prayer. There's going to be folks up here who would love to pray for you after we finish singing this song. Come and be prayed for. Some of you, there's some conviction that's welled up. There's a lack of fear that is just like a lack of true honor and fear of God that has just created this dissonance in your heart. For some of us today, you're like, this sounds like an amazing life. And today is a day that you want to say yes to Jesus. Come and be prayed for. There's folks who will be getting ready to go over there in a minute. If it's full, you can just sit in the front row and wait. And for the rest of us, as we sing, I'm just, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, I pray in this moment as we close, that you, your presence would just fall on us. That for many of us, it's been the first time saying, God, I wanna be filled with the Spirit. Help me figure out what it looks like now to do that. For some of us, we know routines that need to be redeemed, places we need to slow down, places we need to be more intentional with becoming the types of people that you, Lord, want to use in the world. And we do all of this knowing the great grace and love of you. We are loved by the God of the universe that you have redeemed us. That on the cross, Lord, you took away the penalty and burden of sin. That in the resurrection, you have inaugurated a new way of living in the world. That heaven has begun to break in. Or may we be people who submit to your Lordship, knowing that your grace and mercy is the thing that give us the, the energy and vision and clarity to take a hard look at our time that we might repent and turn back to the people that you created us to be and to take our time and redeem it and turn it back, Lord, to the, the time that it's supposed to be. <laughs> God, I thank you for what you are going to do in advance through this season, through this series. Jesus' name, everyone.